This is WPCast, the tactical podcast where we help you accelerate your business with WordPress. I'm Doug from PodWP, where we specialize in designing and hosting podcast websites. And I'm David from FatCat Apps, where we build WordPress plugins such as easy pricing tables and easy opt-ins that drive conversions. This is episode 29, how to deliver better support for your WordPress business. So, Doug, I think part of the reason why we want to talk about this is that both of us have experienced some pretty bad uh, support for some of the plugins or themes that we have bought in the past, right? Yeah, I think we're kind of looking at deficiencies we've seen and, you know, trying different things on, on our own businesses on how we can provide better support for customers. And so in this episode, we're going to go over some some different techniques and some tools that that we use or we've seen some other people use to good effect yeah and if you have any thoughts on you know what we are doing or if you have any suggestions on what we could improve you know definitely leave a comment as well that will be wpcast.fm slash support so the first thing we're going to talk about is the point of contact and common thing to do is to use a contact form and that's what you use on your site right yes yeah, so the reason i really like to use a contact form for support is i've got conditional field set up so i'm basically before they're able to send me a support ticket they have to do a couple of things so first of all they have to check that they're actually paying customers and if they, if not they can't even send me a message and then they have to choose which product the ticket is related to and then they have to choose what kind of issue they're having are they having you know does the pricing table not look the way it should or does the backend not work or are they having issues install it and then basically based on by allowing them to drill down on what the issue exactly is it allows me to ask them for more specific details which usually means that i can end up helping them faster and it might save us like an email exchange back and forth yeah it's it's better for both the business owner and the user if there's fewer emails and you know naturally if there's going to be fewer emails then there's less time between when the user has a problem or question and then when it gets solved or answered so i think a really good example and the example that i've modeled it after on my site is so when you go to ninja forms and you check out their support page there i think they did a really good job there of like drilling down what the issue exactly is so i would recommend you you check that out so the next thing on our list is forums so there's there could be private forums this would be like on your own site or if you were to just set up an account somewhere else or on wordpress.org and as you can imagine, you're going to have different threads uh, where the users can submit questions and then either you know you or your support staff or other users can answer them in those threads. So the great thing about this is that some people will be able to find the answer to what they're looking for before even asking the question if people are proactive and will actually go through and look through the threads or search through them. So I think Easy Digital Downloads is a good example of a WordPress plugin business that uses support forums and I'm a user of their plugin and oftentimes I end up having some kind of issue or question and I end up finding the solution to my problem in the support forum instead of me having to go and start a new discussion. So it saves me time and it saves them time because they don't have to answer. Yeah, so it's... You know, it can be good, but it's also going to depend on your customer base. If people are proactive and they're willing to go and look for the answers, generally for something that's a little more tech savvy, like if you have, you know, more of a developer focused plugin or, or otherwise type of business. But if you're 
you're doing something that's very consumer focused and people are less tech savvy, then forums probably aren't as uh, user friendly yeah. to that particular audience. And yeah, and the other thing is you have to you know set up a forum plugin and you have to maintain the forum and your users. Even though they might already have an account on your site, if you don't set it up properly, maybe they also need to register for an additional account in the forum, even to just be able to ask questions. So it is yeah. a, bit, a little bit of a bad user experience. Yeah, and you'll have to moderate the forums as well. You have to set up some rules on proper forum etiquette, and you'll have to organize it into topics. You know, it's better to do that in advance rather than to have a big mess of a lot of threads. Yeah. So what I'm using forums for is for the free plugins that are hosted in the repository on WordPress.org. Um, every plugin on there already has a you know pre-made support forum, and most users just kind of expect like this is basically the go-to place to post uh, support tickets related to free WordPress plugins. And so that's what I'm using for my free plugins. I'm using the WordPress.org forum, and we response time is probably a bit slower there and like the paid users get premium support uh, which is directly via contact form or via email so email is the next thing that we want to talk about and as i run a service-based business that's the primary channel i like to use i find my customers view it as a little more personal to be able to send an email it's a lot less friction because they don't have to sign in to some other account they can just send the email you know, through Gmail or whatever they're using. Yeah, I like using email as well. So like I said, the reason I prefer contact forms is because it allows me to ask more specific questions based on what their issue is. But for example, I'm sending my purchase confirmation received from support at fatcadapps.com and I'm specifically stating in there that if they have a problem or a question, they can just hit reply. And so we do also answer those support tickets. The next item we're going to talk about as a point of contact is social media. And this is something we'd probably not recommend for most businesses, at least in our audience. It's another channel for you to monitor. Generally, it's it would be fine if you're a big brand and you can afford to have support people in different channels. But if you're going to offer support on you know Twitter or Facebook, you know there's a lot of things you have to watch out for. For me, one of the most important things is that support requests are basically out there on the internet forever. So usually support requests are negative. You know, people will only contact support when they have a problem. Mm. And, you know, you can just end up with, uh, you know, a Twitter stream of only people who have problems. That's naturally going to be the case if you, you know, have a support Twitter account, but it doesn't look that great and you, you can't get rid of it. Yeah. Another thing that I've seen is there's a lot of entitlement out there when it comes to like people submitting support tickets via social media, you know, say I've seen that like being the case with airlines or whatever, where people basically expect immediate replies. And, you know, if the, if, if the support on Twitter is staffed from like nine to five or something like that, people get really outraged. So I, I think for a small business, it's just not really a good idea. And that's actually why that is one of the reasons why I don't have a Twitter account for FatCat apps. I do have a personal account on which I don't answer support tickets. I do have a Facebook page, which I might end up deleting because I'm not really using it. And it's just another channel where somebody might end up submitting a support ticket that I don't really want them to. Yeah. And another thing along the same lines is that, you know, while it might be nice to provide multiple channels for your users to contact you for support, by having too many different ones, you know, some people may send support requests through multiple channels, you know, maybe mm -hmm. on the same topic, and then you have to figure out you know, what they said, where, and then it, you know, becomes more of a mess. 
So you may not want to just limit yourself to one channel, but you shouldn't try to do, you know, five different support channels either. Yeah. So, and the last one we've got here as a point of contact is live chat. Let's see your thoughts on live chat. So live chat is becoming a lot more popular. I think it's, it's one of those technologies that has, you know, it's been around for a little while, but most businesses haven't been using it to its full potential. And I think, you know, as the consumer or the customer, you know, you get a little bit more of a personal feel when you're typing to somebody in like a little chat window than you would if you were to send an email or contact form. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you get responses right away, depending on if they actually have, you know, live support staff on the other end. But in other cases, it may just be, you know, a contact form, yeah. you know, disguised as a chat widget, which, you know, serves you know, mostly the same purpose, but just kind of gives a different, more urgent response feel for the end user. Yeah. So I really like live chat from a, you know, customer point of view, but I think uh, if you're a small business, it's, it can be kind of difficult to stuff that, especially if, you know, say you're a programmer and you're building WordPress plugins and, you know, you're like in the code and you're writing code and all of a sudden you're getting like a notification pop up. Somebody's on your chat on your site right now and wants to chat to you and get support. And there's like this huge like switching cost of you know switching from focusing on whatever you're doing right now to like helping that person out so it's probably just yeah. better to have them contact you via email or a form yeah it's similar to the social media you know if, if you have somebody who's actually dedicated to support and that would be great but you know if you were uh, you know running solo that could really kill productivity yeah so the next thing to talk about is that you need to get some kind of notifications especially if you have multiple channels in which people can submit support requests and the first way would just be email right so say you get a contact form submission or you know even like somebody posts to a forum you just set up some kind of trigger that goes straight to your email inbox yeah so this is you know usually the default option or the most obvious one the next one would be something like zapier where you can essentially send a notification to the channel of your choice. So you could use Zapier to send an email or, you know, maybe message you in Slack or send you an SMS or, you know, whatever your preferred channel to receive support would be. Yeah. So we have an episode talking about Zapier a couple of episodes back and we'll also uh, link that up in the show notes. But if you're using Gravity Forms or Ninja Forms or whatever, there's Zapier extensions that you can use to really easily integrate that. And uh, the last one we've got here is Slack. So both of us are big fans of the Slack live chat, team chat. Yeah. So Slack is really great for all the integrations. And, you know, at its core, it's basically a chat program, which makes it sound a lot less powerful than it actually is. But you can have separate channels. You can have, um, you know, public channels within your group or you can have private channels. And, you know, you can set up notifications from support. And we've got other notifications for different things. Like, for example, I have, you know, payment notifications, uh, email subscribers in different channels, which is a bit of a different subject. But it's really good to have it all in one place. And... You know, if you don't need to handle a support request, you know, immediately, you know, and, you know, within a few minutes, it's good to be able to batch them, you know, and then wait until you see that there's some support requests in the queue and then you can go to that channel 
and respond to them. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing in my business. So I've got the emails and contact form submissions and WordPress.org forum posts. They all go into one dedicated Slack channel, which is called hashtag support. So I turned off email notifications and that's the only notifications that we get in an effort to basically reduce the amount of email I get because I'm getting too many. Yeah. So next we're going to talk about some of the tools that we've used or some other people use to handle support in a more organized manner. So you're using uh, HelpScout, right? Yeah. So HelpScout is essentially another mailbox, but you can share the mailbox. You add different users to HelpScout. And this way you can have multiple staff members handle support requests from the same place without worrying about people answering the same email or not having a record of the other ones because a lot of times you're not going to remember to CC somebody else if you're handling support. And this way it's all you know, kept in one place and yeah. you get a little not- notification if you're trying to respond to a support request and another user actually has that email open. Yeah. And I think sharing like a Gmail login between multiple people, especially if they're in multiple locations and different IPs is just a recipe for disaster. You're always going to have issues logging in and like authentication problems. Yeah. So, you know, another nice thing about Help Scout and similar programs, uh, because I I think there's a few that are, are like it, you can also track response time and like length of conversation and mm-hmm. some other stats, which kind of gamify support. And, you know, these can give you some good data on, you know, like whether, you know, your support is getting better or, or worse and, you know, kind of giving you, you like some hard data on what, you know, what your actual response time is and, you know, try to, at least for me, you know, I try to improve it over time. Are you willing to share what your average response time is? I actually don't know what it is. It's definitely not as good as I would like. Okay, so I, th- I think I just checked it out the other day. I think mine is around 11 hours, and then we're going to come to that later. But the main issue is that um, my team, like all of us, are basically not operating in the U.S. time zone, and most uh, customers are in the U.S. So the next tool is Support B, which is what I'm using. And I checked out both HelpScout and Support B, and I would say they're pretty similar. What made me choose Support B is sort of the pricing based on number of tickets instead of users, which kind of resonated with me. But what I really liked is that the user interface just seemed a little, it just looked a little bit nicer and it supported um, Gmail keyboard shortcuts, which is something that I use every day. So to me, it was just like, it seemed basically more like, it was more like Gmail from a user experience. That's basically why I chose it, but both HelpScout and Support B, I would say, seem pretty comparable. Yeah, I, I'm, I think the main reason why I went with HelpScout was because of the integrations. But again, you can use Zapier and, and some mm-hmm. other things. So it's it's tough to compare yeah. these things. I think it's, you know, it, it's not that big of a difference, whichever one Right. So I do have uh, so support B, for example, sends um, using a webhook, uh, sends a notification to Slack when I get a ticket. So I think you can also do that kind of stuff. But anyways, uh, last one here is Sendesk. I've actually never used it, but I know as a, as a user, consumer, you always notice it when you send a message to somebody with Sendesk and then you get those weird messages back with like, like don't like reply below this below line. That. Yeah. I, I, don't, I really don't like this kind of it's, stuff. It's, it's weird. So I, I did a trial of Zendesk. You know, I tried Help Scout. Zendesk and I think it was Fresh Desk. I tried a few of them out and then I researched a bunch of others before I settled on Help Scout. And Zendesk has a ton of features. You know, it supports social media integration and all all sorts of different things. 
And so that's pretty cool. But ultimately, I found it rather difficult to even use from the back end. And, you know, having, uh, you know, been a consumer uh, for some companies that use Zendesk on theirs, you know, I've come to, you know, accept it and deal with it, but I've never found it to be like a really pleasant support experience, you know, responding to tickets that way or logging into a system and submitting a ticket from the front end. So ultimately I decided that the user experience for my customers would be the best. And if they can just send an email and it looks like a normal email that they get back and there's not this weird stuff in the bottom, then that would be the best for them. And you know, it also, it was important to be able to set it up myself easily. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's what both helps cut and support be excellent is that um, to the end user, it just looks like it's a normal email. So next point is hiring. And I guess the question is here, there's a lot of talk about should you hire somebody for support or should you do it yourself as a founder? Because you're probably going to learn a couple of things about your customers. And I don't think there's always a clear answer to that. But so I am not answering most of the support myself. One of my programmers who's here based in Asia does most of the support, but I do some of it occasionally as well. And to me, the big advantage is that Especially, like I said, I'm also not based in US time zone. I would basically feel compelled to immediately, as soon as I wake up first thing in the morning, like go to the support inbox and start answering support tickets. And I just kind of feel like it's a big distraction because I think, especially in the morning, I need to like focus on, you know, whatever, like the big challenge for the day is and whatever it is that is going to move the business forward. And I do think that support is important, but I don't think that answering support tickets necessarily moves the business forward. So that's kind of what made me decide to have somebody else who works for me full-time answer support tickets so if you are going to outsource support uh, we'd recommend that you start with the first level non-technical support oftentimes you may have an faq or uh, support documentation that actually has all the answers or most of the answers that people are asking and you know it is a a bit annoying and a burden for you as a founder or, you know, to have one of your employees answer these questions that a customer could find on their own. But ultimately, you're never going to have the case where your customers are actually going to read all of that themselves. So you will have this first level support. And depending on where your business is, you may need to do it sooner than later. So, you know, if you want to take one step at a time, you can hire somebody part-time and just have them read over your FAQ and documentation Mm. really well so they know where to point people or what to copy and paste into the emails. And that can save you a lot of time. Yeah, I got somebody on Odesk. So I think actually that might be the next step for my business. I don't actually have like this non-technical first level support. It goes basically straight to the developer, which also means that, again, since he's not in the US time zone, it kind of delays some of the replies. Usually it's still less than 12 hours. It's not that bad, but still. But also now he has to deal with stuff that, you know, somebody who doesn't have programming experience could still like really easily answer. So I think that's something I'll be looking at. So the next thing is to having a developer help with technical issues. With my plugins, uh, especially with easy pricing tables, it's a CSS generator. And just by like, by the very nature 
of it, this being WordPress and there being a lot of themes with VLCSS out there occasionally, there's something where it just doesn't really look the way it should. And yeah. so th and that's the biggest issue that I'm getting right now with easy pricing tables is people basically having CSS conflicts with their themes. And for something like that, you, you often get somebody uh, posting a link to their website. Yeah. And so you need somebody with a little bit of tech knowledge to be able to look at that site, you know, use inspect element or view source and just take a look at the code and, you know, see what's actually wrong. So next thing is, um, so when you're hiring somebody, you should look at the location and time zone. And again, that's something that I would like to do, you know, sometime early next year is get somebody involved who is in the, somewhere in the America time zone so that I should be able to cut down my average response time. I would love to cut it down to like, you know, like two or three hours or something like that. Yeah, that would be really impressive. I think that's pretty, pretty tough to, to accomplish for most businesses. So on a related note, you know, we're talking about response time. So, you know, that's something that I think is important for pretty much any kind of business. The longer you wait to respond or the longer the customer has to wait to get a response, you know, the more angry they might be, is depending on the severity of the problem, of course. But ultimately, you know, for me, handling support, you know, I want my customers to get responses right away. And it also, I, I don't want to have to think about it, you know, in the back of my mind. So, you know, it, it's great for me when I can actually give these responses immediately but you know in reality it often doesn't doesn't come out as, as fast as, as i'd like and you know this is you know something that just you have to improve over time yeah so i think another really important thing that we already mentioned is having a some kind of knowledge base or documentation set up uh, i've got a pretty in-depth documentation over on my site for easy pricing tables and i think it's really good because there are a lot of people who are you know happy to read the documentation and you know it saves them time because they can solve the issue right now instead of having to wait for somebody to reply and then a few people who don't read the knowledge base you can basically still send them a link as a reply instead of having to like retype it every single time. So another point that we want to talk about is etiquette. And this could be, you know, whether it's email or chat or in the forums, you should have some kind of standard polite template, you know, just for your customers, you know, to get a consistent response. And this is something you may have to train your staff on or, you know, just write up an SOP and, you know, just try to make sure everyone is consistent and they're, they're not just delivering you know, just the answer and being brief, you know, there should be, uh, you know, some polite words in there as well. Yeah. And I think most support tools allow you to have some kind of, um, you know, like pre-scripted answers where, you know, you can, that's what I did. You know, we, we do have basically pre-written replies to, you know, like the 10 most common things. And then in there, there is already like a lot of the formalities, like, you know, please let me know if there's anything else I can do for you. And, you know, like yeah. all those, those kind of, those kind of things. And, you know, also having, you know, kind of an email template, you know, where you would have a link to mm -hmm. your documentation and some other things in, in the email signature itself. So, you know, there's a little more content to the email and it's not just, you know, a one sentence answer, which, you know, is technically the most efficient reply, but you, you want to make a better customer experience, make it a little more personal and customers will appreciate that a little bit more. So last but not least, We've got standard operating procedures here. You want to tell us some more about that? Yeah, so I, I think it's, again, similar to the etiquette. It's important to have some standards. This way, you know, when you have staff that, you know, everyone is providing the same level of quality 
and the customer has a consistent experience because it shouldn't matter to the customer, you know, who answers the support ticket. They should get the same response and the same quality. So, you know, certain things, which I guess technically aren't part of the SOP or standard operating procedure, but spelling and grammar, you know, these things Actually, they should be an item on the SOP mm-hmm. to, for your staff to check over. But some of the things that, that I've done for support is I like to use numbered lists a lot. This way, when a customer responds, then you can refer to the same number because sometimes the lists can get long. And then, you know, again, like having kind of a standard intro and outro, you know, encouraging them to feel free to contact you if they have other questions or if anything wasn't clear. And, you know, to make sure they have a link to to the documentation. Okay. So I've actually got uh, one question that I'm curious if anybody listening to this has any idea. But uh, one support issue that I've been occasionally experiencing is that like very occasionally there's something that's a little bit more severe, um, some kind of conflict that's a bit more severe than just a CSS conflict. So between some kind of theme or plugin and my own plugin. And it can be quite difficult to reproduce that on your local site, especially if they are using, say, like a premium theme or a premium plugin that you can just like, you know, easily download on your uh, development or test site. And I've been like messing with different things and like trying to solve this. And one thing that I've been now experimenting with is actually I signed up for WP Stagecoach, which is a staging site service. And actually, I've, um, with the permission of some of my customers, I'm replicated their sites on a staging site. So then I'm like, you know, my developer or myself could go into the staging site and basically start messing with the site without worrying about taking down or destroying yeah. an actual life site. But I still haven't really found like any, like that's maybe the best solution that I've found so far, but even that requires me installing the WP Stagecoach plugin on their site and asking them for permission and all this kind of stuff. I just haven't really found a great way to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, if anybody has any ideas, I would love to hear from you in the comments at wpcast.fm slash support. I think that's that's pretty much it for this episode. So if you do have any suggestions or anything, you know, any thoughts of things that you have learned or things that we might be able to improve in our support processes, we would love yeah. to hear from you. Yeah, we'd love to hear any tips, tips and tricks you have. And, you know, also any, any stories you may have of really good support or bad support. You know, those are always entertaining. So yeah, or some kind of some kind of horror stories or something like that. Yeah, yeah, we definitely. Um, you know, we've heard we've heard a couple. Maybe maybe we'll talk about some of those. Actually, I, I, I got one. I, I got one. I can share right now. I actually All just right. got it a few days ago. So. So there's somebody who submitted a support ticket claiming that I took one hundred and one hundred point five dollars out of their I don't know credit card or something like that. But it's it's completely impossible. Like I looked up. She only has one email address and I looked it up and there's like no payment that has ever come through from that email address, but she's claiming, she's claiming that I charged a credit card, which, which is completely impossible. But basically what I ended up telling her is uh, after some back and forth, you know, she's like really outraged and all this kind of stuff. I just told her. You don't even have her credit card. Yeah, I I don't, I'm I'm only using PayPal. I don't have her credit card information or anything. Exactly. So I basically ended up telling her that she either has to call PayPal or like file a chargeback or something like that. Because again, like I didn't take her money. So, you know. I yeah. think, to be honest, I think she's probably trying to scam me or something like that <laughs> into like uh, yeah. sending her a hundred bucks. I don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe she just, she had her credit card, you know, identity stolen and, oh, that could be, you know, yeah. it was just around the same time as yeah. buying your plugin. Actually, you know, on a related note, you know, I, I did have an instance where, you know, my credit card number was, had some like fraudulent charges and, you know, fortunately my credit card 
company, they contacted me and like I didn't even have to dispute any charges. You know, they already identified them as being a problem. But I did look and, you know, try to see what purchases I made recently and, you know, where the credit card could have gotten stolen. And it turned out this was during one of these major attacks. And one of the companies, which is actually a WordPress company that I'll leave unnamed, you know, they were affected by, I don't remember if it was Heartbleed or, or another mm-hmm. one, but they had sent out an actual like uh, apology, which I thought was actually really good because it was proactive. But, uh, you know, they sent out an apology because, you know, they had been compromised. And so I'm pretty sure that's where, you know, where it came from with mine. But, you know, again, they were handling payments on their own site. It wasn't through PayPal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is, you know, one of the risks you have if you're processing payments yourself. Yeah, I think that's an interesting anecdote, though, also in the context of support, where if something really bad happens, you should be proactive about it and apologize and tell customers. The last thing you want to do is like to basically try to be silent and, you know, like... Yeah, hoping that nobody, yeah, yeah, denying it and hoping that nobody uh, recognizes. You want to be, you know, you want to own those kind of things when something bad happens. Okay, so I think that's really it for this episode. Again, the URL is wpcast.fm/support. Thanks for listening. You can go to wpcast.fm to download our WordPress toolbox, which contains our 50 favorite tools. We'll see you next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.